Okay, Joshua chapter 23, please. You know, the more I study the Scriptures, the harder it is for me to fathom how anyone could believe that they could do anything to deserve or merit the least of God's mercies or favor. The Bible is so clear about who does the sinning, that you and I, and the Bible is so clear about who does the saving. I was thinking today, back years ago, it was kind of like watching those old 3D movies without 3D glasses. You couldn't, didn't do much good if you didn't have the glasses. You don't have faith seen sight. You just won't see the depth of this gospel that we preach. Joshua 23, verse 1, And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And he said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all, you've seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Then in verse three, we find that three word term here that I just read found four times in the Bible and all four occurrences are found in the book of Joshua. That term is because of you. It's God who saves. We know that. It's the Lord who has fought for you. We know that. Salvation is of the Lord. We most definitely know that. Then why would these things be attributed to us? Why does the Holy Spirit record here in these verses because of you? Why did God have the Holy Spirit write that in this book? He had... Uh, he had Rahab to say it. He had the Gibeonites to say it. And now Joshua, he uses to remind Israel that God's mercies, God's deliverance, God's victories over their enemies was because of them. Well, I can give you a short answer. Because it is. It's not because of anything that Israel had done. It was not due to anything that Israel themselves provided. But it had everything to do with who provided it for them. And four times this term, because of you, is recorded in the Scripture and all used here in the book of Joshua. First, Rahab said it. Look back at uh, Joshua chapter 2. You can hold your place here. We can easily get back to it. But in uh, Joshua chapter 2, in verse 9... And she, Rahab, said unto the men, the spies, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. That's what Joshua just said in chapter 23. And that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. <laughs> For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea 
for you. When you came out of Egypt and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. We know who did this. Your God did this. And he did it because of you. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts didn't melt, and neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Rahab said, the Lord had given you the land. You know, Jericho's my city. This is where I was raised. This is where I live. But it don't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord and to whosoever He'll give it. And it's God has given it to you. Rahab said, we've heard. <laughs> we've heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. We've heard how he easily he destroyed the army of Egypt. We've heard it all in all the inhabitants of this land. They faint and their hearts melt because of you, because of who you are and who your God is, most importantly. Because of what the Lord has done and is doing for you. So it has to be because of you. Rahab said, we've heard about the plagues in Egypt. And as Gene said Sunday, the Lord sent those flies and those frogs and those lice. Flies, frogs, and lice. Oh my. Rahab said, we know God did it and He did it because of you. God utterly destroyed the two kings on the other side of Jordan because of you. Rahab continues in verse 11 and says, I, now I see that the Lord your God... He is God in heaven above. And He's God in earth beneath. He's the one and only God. He's the only true God. There is no other God. And this is why that our hearts melted and, and our courage failed within us. Because of you. Because of who your God is. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote, God has blessed us, every believing sinner, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Paul then went on to say there in Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. It's God who gives light to see Christ. That you may know what is the hope of His calling? And what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Which He wrought in Christ. He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus Christ is our light in our life. Oh, we say that. Let it never come become just cliche. He really is our light in our life. There is no light. There is no life apart from Him. Jesus Christ is the exceeding greatness of God's power to us. Jesus Christ is our inheritance. 
All these things were wrought and worked in him. Far above all principality and power, Paul added, and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet. Not our feet. Our feet in him, yes. Because of you. And he gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of Him that filleth all in and all. Our union, our oneness with Christ, who who God had put, having put all things under His feet, being the head over all things, having the fullness of God in His body, fitting all and in all, that is the reason He became all these things. Because of you. What a blessed conjunction that word because. It means the reason that. It means the reason for, the reason of. You know, you ask a a child why they did something, they answer, because. And you say, well, because why? Well, just because. We... We do because of sin. But God does because of love. And that's love for His people. Because of you. That's why. Any hope that we might have is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope I have is that Christ is found in me. And in view of the fact, owing to the fact that God chose the people before they were born, before they did any good or evil, You know, that's the beautiful thing about election. It's not just a doctrine that we like to preach to make people upset. The doctrine of election is about how God saved sinners. He chose them before the foundation of the world. He gave them to Christ. Christ made a covenant with His Father that He would put away every single sin of theirs by the sacrifice of Himself. And you and I didn't have a single thing to do with it. We weren't even born yet. We hadn't done any good or evil. It's not just a doctrine. It's the truth. It's the teaching of God to sinners. We know who does the saving. God does. According to His choosing, according to His determining, God loved some and He gave them to Christ. And on the grounds of doing so, everything good that God does for you and everything good that God does for me is because of you. Even though you did nothing, you're the reason. And so, now, if we don't have anything to glory in, and we don't, then we certainly haven't done anything. It'd be like someone giving me credit for working on, on and building the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, David, you really did a good job on Golden Gate Bridge. Well, I didn't build Golden Gate Bridge. Why are you giving me any glory? Even more so with the gospel. Even more so with salvation. I didn't do anything to discern, deserve or to merit or to earn God's favor. It was given to me. I didn't do the work. Jesus Christ finished it in my place. How can it uh, be said of me to have done some good work when I didn't do the work at all? And God won't accept my work because it's not perfect. And perfection is all He'll accept. It's got to be perfect to what? 
be accepted. It's the Lord that did all these things, but it was because of His people. His elect are the reason for it. They are never the cause, but always the reason. They belong to the Father, and the Father gave them to Christ, and they became His. He said so when He said, Thou art mine. They became His bride. They became the very ones that God gave Him. The very ones that Christ presents to Himself. Ephesians 5 says, is a glorious church, a glorious bride without holy and without blemish. That's what you and I are in Him. What a glorious bride and church Christ presents to Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He's our gift. All other spiritual blessings are in Him, as we've already said. Why did, who did Christ give, who did God give Christ to? Whosoever believeth in Him. He did so before the foundation of the world, and then in the fullness of time, God calls them, He called them, and He caused them to believe in Christ. And it's them who shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word you, what? it's a pronoun of distinction. In the Bible, the Lord distinguishes. Doesn't He? Yes, sir. You better believe He does. There are you and there are them. God has mercy on whom He wills. God has mercy on whom He chooses. Some He saves, some He leaves in their sin. Is there unrighteousness with God for doing so? Paul said, God forbid. It's His mercy and His grace and His love to do what He wills with. There are them and there are us, and it's not because of us. We don't make ourselves to differ. It's God who makes the difference. It's God that does the choosing. The Lord Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Sometimes we are the them. The Lord said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. I pray for them. Them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. They are distinguished as belonging to God. They're yours. You gave them to me. But they didn't choose God. God chose them. They didn't adopt God. God adopted them. I hear God presented today as is a, a poor orphan that needs to be adopted. He loves everybody. Won't you just love Him back? That's not God. We don't adopt, adopt God. God adopts us. They don't give God life. God gave them life. God gives us life. The Lord said, All are mine or thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. The Lord is glorified in the sinners that He sovereignly saves. Because of you, God is glorified. Doesn't sound right. But it's true. Christ is glorified in God's goodness to His people. Why? Because He is their goodness. He died for them. God did all these things for Israel for Christ's sake. He's teaching us that He's sovereign in salvation. Christ defeated all their enemies because of them. And they were not the cause. Let me say it again. They 
were the reason. It was on account of them. It was on the grounds of His love for them. It was a, upon the account of Christ's righteousness. That's the only way that a holy God could love us is us to have the perfect righteousness of Christ ourselves. And it's not just posted on. We don't wear a little poster around us and says, I have Christ's righteousness. No, we really have it. We really have it. Christ said, I was with them in the world. I have kept them in thy name. None of them is lost. I have given them my word. I have sent them in the world. They're not of this world, even as I am not of this world. The world hates them because the world hates me. They're one with me. You can't speak of Him that you're not speaking of them. Well, I thought God did all this because of Christ. He did. And because I am in Christ and you're in Christ, it's because of you. I am them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Rahab knew that Israel was the cause, the reason, and owing to the fact that he loved them, there was no reason apart from it pleasing the Lord to make them His people. God needs no other reason other than it just pleased Him to do so. Whatever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and earth and the sea and all deep places. That means hell too. Now in Joshua chapter 9, look over here with me. We find the Gibeonites. They heard and believed and were convinced of the same thing that Rahab was. Chapter 9, verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon, Hivites, that's who they were. They were the enemies of God. Heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai. They heard of the greatness of Israel's Lord God. Look at the last part of verse 9. For we have heard the fame of Him. Who? Your God. And all that He, your God, did in Egypt. Verse 10, And all that He, your Lord, did to the two kings of the Amorites. Not what you did. What He did for you. If a sinner ever hears from God, it's going to be through the preaching of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now in Joshua chapter 23, our, our text, we find Joshua is now in his last days. He's old and stricken in age. That word stricken means come into days. That's a nice way of saying it, isn't it? We've, he's coming to his days. <laughs> We've come into them re really quickly too. I was talking to Brother Paul the other day and we were talking about how Fast those days have come. Paul will soon be 89 years old. And we were talking about some things that seemed so recent. And as we got to calculating in our minds, we realized that the event that we were discussing had been a decade before. It had been 10 years. We just couldn't believe it. We just kind of looked at each other and shaked our heads. Verse 1 again, and it came to pass a long time after. Oh, it seems like a long time sometimes. It's not that long. And then sometimes it don't seem like long at all. And it's been a long time. 
but it comes to pass and it always comes to pass according to his will and purpose. It came to pass that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about. Joshua waxed old and stricken in age and he called for all Israel. These are the final words of Joshua, but these words make up the final message, the final sermon, so to speak, that the servant of the Most High here preaches. Well, I'll listen to him. Well, I'll listen to what he says. It's the same message that he's preached all along. They are the words of departure from a man who's soon to leave this world. Man doesn't change his message. It's the same message. I suppose like no other time, one who has come to the end of their days, they're not prohibited. They, uh, I've always heard that if you don't want to know the truth, don't ask a child or an older person. In both cases, you're sure to get the truth. And it certainly seems from verse 3 that the one thing that stands upon the mind of Joshua is the great things that God has done for His people. That's what he's talking about. The great things that God has done. Not the great things that we, the church, has done. Not the great things that, that sinners have done for God, but the great things that God's done for sinners. Joshua doesn't waste any time boasting on the accomplishments of the Lord because he knows that Israel's peace and their rest and their happiness is due entirely to the good pleasure and power of God. Verse 3, And you've seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. There it is again, because of you. For the Lord your God is He that hath fought for you. Now, the first thing that the enlightened sinner sees is that salvation's of the Lord. We see this as a gift from God. Not something we do. Is It's the Lord your God that hath done all this. And He did it all because of you. It was because of them that the Lord had fought for them. It pleased the Lord to do so. Just as it pleased the Lord to put away your sin and to put away my sin and the sin of all those who trust Christ to to do so by the sacrifice of Himself. That's my hope. I am trusting that Christ put all my sin away and that I don't have any. And that's why I can have some boldness to come into His throne of grace. And that's why I can have some confidence and assurance that these things are so. Not because I did something. Oh my, I'd be fearful every minute of every day if my salvation depended on me and something that I did. How about you? Isn't that so? Well, you know it is. There's oh my, there's nothing that even remotely suggests that we have anything to do with receiving anything from God. We're made to differ from others. What do we have, Paul said, that we did not receive? Nothing. We received it all. And if we received it, why do we glory in it? We don't and we can't. In this, Joshua again pictures the Lord Jesus who calls His elect spiritual Israel together by the preaching of the Gospel. 
Reminding us that our deliverance and salvation is due to one thing and one thing alone. And that's the grace and the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord your God hath fought for you. It's because of God's love for Christ and us and Him that He fights and He defeats all our enemies. The great foes of sin, self, Satan, death, the grave, and hell have been defeated on the account of Christ's mediation for us. The Lord has destroyed all your enemies. All of them. Not a man stood before them. Not an enemy. Because of you. Because you couldn't. So the Lord Jesus Christ Himself did it for you. The Lord your God has fought for you. He provides for Himself and He does so by providing Himself. He provides the sinner a lamb for burnt offering and He Himself is the lamb for our burnt offering unto the Lord. Let us never graze far from that green grass. The green grass of God's Word. It's because of Christ in you. It's because of who died for you. And it's for God's own great namesake that He blots out our sin and remembers Him no more. Our spiritual mantle falls new every morning. So we must gather and eat of Christ. He is the bread of life. He came into the world to save sinners. He is our sustenance. He is our provision. There is no life apart from Him. We're saved by His grace, we're kept by the power of God. Christ is the one thing needful. How many things are truly needful? The Lord said just one. One thing. There's one thing needful. Just one thing. A former neighbor of Teresa and I had a grandson three years old and he took him to Sam's Club one day. And uh, my neighbor saw it in the distance, so he hurried very quickly past this shiny red tricycle, hoping his grandson, who was the apple of his eye, didn't see it. But it was too late. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at that tricycle, and he looked at his papa, and he said, Papa, I need that. I need it. I need it. And I'm sure he got it. However, like that young toddler, we think we need a lot of things that we don't. And we know that it's so because the Lord said when it all comes down to it, in the end, there's only one thing needful. And Jesus Christ is that one thing needful. And may we like God's May we, by God's grace like Mary, choose the good part. Jesus Christ is the good part. Joshua stood and recalled the great things that God had done for them. That's what we do in preaching. We stand and recall the great things that God has done for His people throughout time, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and through today. God's still on the throne. God's still out to do His people good. He works all things together for the good of them that love the Lord, who are thee called according to His purpose. We can't find one thing within us 
that would even suggest that we somehow merited God's favor. It's either by grace or it's by works. If by grace, then it's no more works. And if by works, then it's no more grace because it can't be both. I didn't straighten up my life. God gave me a new life. I didn't... uh, do uh, heart surgery on myself. God gave me a new heart. God fought all my battles. God has given me a state of rest in His finished work because He was victorious in every single fight. And I found it very interesting that in the last message as God's leader, Joshua admonishes Israel in verse 6 here the very same thing that he did in chapter 1, verse 7. His message has never changed. The message never changes. The admonishment is always the same. Look at, look at it here, verse 6. Joshua 23. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses that you turn not aside therefrom to the right or to the left. Keep your eyes on Christ. Look and live. Christ is high and lifted up. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look straight ahead to the Savior. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. We look to the end by looking to Christ. Mm-hmm. Verse 7, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of their name, the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. Now we live in a world of religion where the Follower of one God can encourage the follower of another God by saying, well, you serve your God your way and we'll serve God our way and we'll just all go along and get along. We just agree to disagree. Go along and get along. But that's not what God says. God through Joshua said, don't come among these nations. Don't even mention their God's names. Don't you swear by them nor serve them. Don't you dare bow down before them. And our Joshua says the same to us. we got a lot of men and women in the name of God going along and getting along. And I'm telling you, if you can stomach the hearing of a God who in no way resembles the God of the Bible, you're in trouble. If you can compromise, go along, get along. If you can turn to the left and to the right, and then you have yet to see the difference that God makes and the difference that God is. But to those who have, this they will do. There are some things for us to do. Well, now, wait a minute, David. You've been telling us for over 15 years, years now, Ten years or longer that there's nothing for us to do. Not to be saved, there's not. But there are some things that prove that we are. We must come and hear the gospel preached. If the Lord uses the means of preaching the gospel to save them that believe, then we've got to be there to hear it. 
And then we've got to, it's where God meets with His people. It's where God reveals the means of life eternal. And we must not only come hear the Gospel, we must believe the Gospel. You've got to believe, trust your soul into the safekeeping of Christ and Him crucified. Christ doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. You must believe that Christ is faithful that promised. Then Joshua gives us something else that is a must. Verse 8. But cleave. Cleave. Cleave unto the Lord your God as you have done unto this day. We must cleave to the Lord our God. No other instruction is needful or useful. We must lay hold of eternal life. We must cleave, latch on to Christ. To cleave means to hold on continually and hold on to it for dear life. Christ is our life. Better cleave to Him. He that hath the Son hath life. We have every reason to cleave to Him. He's never failed us. He's defeated every enemy. The accuser of the brethren has been jailed. Sin's been washed away by His precious blood. Verse 9, For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. <laughs> because of you. What was the difference between a man from one of the tribes of Israel and a man from one of the Canaanite tribes? The answer is simple. The difference that God made. Yes, sir. The only difference between me and a murderer on death row is the difference that God made. That's all the difference. It's the only difference. That's why no man, no circumstance, no trial, no providence is able to stand before us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. First and foremost, because it was God that sent these obstacles. It was God who sent these circumstances, these trials, and this providence for our good. And it's going to be for our good. Yes. Eternal good. And the only good thing about cancer or some other deadly disease is that for the believer, it's the means to a beginning, not a means to the end. It's a means to a departure. It's a means to a promotion. It's a means to being forever with Christ. It's a means to eternal life. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Death is a good thing for a believer. And no man, no nation, nobody can stand in the way of you and your Lord. So I want to leave you with the words of Joshua from verse 11 in our text. Take good Heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Amen. Boy, that's the best advice that anybody could give anybody. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The only true motivation that a believer has is love for Christ. Sinners are not kept by rules and regulations. Church covenants 
Won't do it. Legalistic threats, open rebukes will never truly motivate a sinner. Only true love for the One who loved us and gave Himself for us will keep the sinner looking to Christ alone. Just love for Him. When I think about how much God loves me, I don't want to disappoint Him, do you? Oh, and I do so often, fall so short. May God be pleased to make it so for the glory of God, the good of believing sinners, and for the sake of the Lord Jesus who did love us and give Himself for us. Everything that God does in history, His story, He does because of you, His people. What an amazing thought. What an amazing God. What an amazing Savior.